Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On today's episode, I've got the King of Swing. <laughs> Oi, oi, and welcome to Chat Interacts with me, Rob the Face Radio Burgess. Thanks for joining me today. On today's episode, I'm dipping my toes into the world with jazz and swing jazz. I've got Louis Prima Jr. on the show. Now, here's dad, Louis Prima Sr. had hits with Sing, 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 and I Want to Be Like You from Jungle Book. In this episode, Louis talks about his dad's career, his return to music, and the new albums he's working on. He's a fantastic artist, and it was a wonderful dip into the world of jazz and swing jazz. And he told me some fantastic stuff about his dad, so stay tuned for that. If you've not done it yet, please like and subscribe, because it really helps the channel out. And let me know in the comments what you think of the episode. Anyway, I'll see you on the next one. Ta-da! Normally, my first question to a guest would be, um, was your parents influenced by music, and uh, was you influenced by their music? But your dad was quite a famous musician. So for people that have never sort of heard your dad's name, can you just describe what he did and who he was? Well, my father... Um He's tough to tough to describe because he was his. I've always felt he was his own style of music and his own style of entertainer. Uh, he didn't follow any mold. I think he um, was a forerunner or a front runner in every music style change. My father had his first band uh, as a teenager in the twenties in New Orleans, Louisiana, nineteen twenties. Uh, he wrote "Sing, Sing, Sing," which is arguably the number one song in the world i mean it's the number one big band song easily number one jazz song it's in the guinness book of world's records i mean it's uh you you still turn on the tv and it's in commercials and things but he wrote that when he was in 1936 he was 26 years old um you know and then he went on to be a big band staple with hits through there and then he formed a, a small combo and kind of put Vegas on the map entertainment wise, uh, with Louis Prima and the witnesses, you know, back then it was Keely Smith. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he forged on through rock and roll and people will say that he created rock and roll. I think what most people will recognize him for, at least, as, you know, when, when we're out on the road and performing, you know, you bring up the cartoon jungle book, Walt Disney's jungle book. And I think absolutely, it, you're hard pressed to find somebody that has not seen that cartoon growing up or as an adult. And my father was the voice of King Louis, uh, in that movie. And that's probably his most recognizable role. Um, but it, you know, he was, uh, he was, uh, a musician that people didn't respect as a musician. He was an entertainer that people didn't respect as an entertainer. Uh, but he drew crowds everywhere and he was amazing and people loved him. And, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to build on his catalog and kind of continue it and bring it into the future uh, without being a tribute act. You know, um, absolutely, I was influenced by him. It's a, but, it's amazing. Um, I was doing a bit of research on your dad uh, prior to this, and your dad's got such a distinctive voice that I read somewhere that they um, a lot of places wouldn't book him in the early days because they thought he was a black artist. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, uh, the irony in that is he was the first white artist to play at the historic Apollo Theater in New York. Um, 
probably because of that. Uh, but that, you know, it comes from his roots in New Orleans. I mean, he, he did have a gravelly voice. Um, and people always kind of, you know, will say that he emulated or tried to copy Louis Armstrong. But the truth is, you know, if you go back into the history uh, of music in New Orleans and what they did, I mean, these were street cats. You know, my father was 11 years old sneaking out of the house because they lived in the French Quarter to go see these fantastic um, inventors of jazz and, and the creators of that style of music back then. And they all were the same, you know, they, they all, they, they emulated the street performers and that style. Um, he just, I think he had a joy in his voice though, uh, that rose him above the rest. You know, I, I think everything he did, he put joy into, and you could tell in his voice and in his singing and his, in his talking, he was truly wanted to be a happy person. Um, and that's, you know, for me, that's what made him distinct. Yeah, he's he's got such an amazing iconic voice. Even if you sort of like disregard Jungle Book and go sing, right. sing, sing, you know, you can just hear that tone. And it's it's you're you're right. Your dad's voice sounds really friendly, even when he's singing. It's, yes, it's, just, uh, it's it's accessible. It, it lets you, um, you know, it it does bring you in, and it does, uh, and the joy that he had with music. I mean, um, you know, uh, just a gigolo. I ain't got nobody. He took two songs that are arguably some of the most depressing music in the world. I mean, just a gigolo is a, um, about a French airman returning home from the war. And, and it, you know, it's a sad, sad, sad song that my father just flipped it over and made fun of it and not made fun of the song, but kind of makes fun of music in general, um, when he's doing things. And I think that's where his brilliance was, was to be able to take anything and just have a bit of fun with it. So your, your dad was obviously gigging a lot was you going along with your dad to the gigs and getting influenced by watching the gigs and things you know we traveled a lot with him during the summers he he generally worked about 20 weeks a year in las vegas and then was on the road and he he didn't like to fly um so he had a you know motorhome and traveled around and during the summers we would hop on that motorhome and drive with him um and, you know, I was young, but I still, you know, there, there are vivid memories of being in the light booths at the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas, uh, watching him perform. And, and, you know, I can tell stories, endless stories about different places. We went and played the Westbury Music Fair in New York and uh, um, Skomas in, in San Francisco and, and, you know, some other places where I have vivid memories of being there and can tell a story about things that happened. Um and I, I think more importantly is my father drug me everywhere. Um, you know, anytime he went out to do business or do anything, he took me with him and I was with him when he recorded his last album in the studio as well. Wow. And I think what got me more than his performance was his humility and his, the way in which he interacted with everybody, um, because he treated everybody like they were best friends. Um, it didn't, it, it, he didn't have to know you. If you came up to him in a, in a crowded room, he would take those two minutes to talk to you. I, I heard stories along the way, you know, that, uh, there was a, a, a lady that came to see me perform and she said that she had saw, seen my father in Lake Tahoe. And for those that know Lake Tahoe, it's up in the mountain. It's, you know, there's not a lot up there, but the resorts and the lake. And this woman's 
was with a friend of hers and she got sick and my father drove them down to the hospital in Reno, uh, in his limousine just, and didn't know them just, they were fans. Um, but he, he treated everybody like that as you went. And, uh, I think that's what hit me the most. That's wonderful. That's really wonderful. My, um, my dad was a musician as well. He was a drummer. Right and, on. Uh, he played country and western music. He loved country. So I'm just wondering, was, was it like me where my dad would take me away every weekend to watch his band and he was playing country, but I was kind of like, dad, I don't want to listen to the Beatles. I'm not interested. Did, was it the same for you? <laughs> um, you know, I think because my mom, um, Gia, my own, uh, you know, she was his last wife and his last singing partner. And she is the one that taught me drums. Matter of fact, I was five years old. She bought a drum set and bought it in the house. And uh, she grew up with like Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. And she was front row when the Beatles played Vegas. And um, and my but and my father enjoyed all music. Um, so he there was never a you know there was never a point where oh my god your music sucks. Um, at least not that I remember, you know, and, and I don't, I don't think I never, I don't think I ever disliked my father's style or what he did. You know, when I decided to get into music, you know, I absolutely went rock and roll because that's what I was into and that's what I loved. Uh, but I still always listened to my father and I still would go sit in with people and do my father's stuff. And so it was an easy transition getting into it. Um, and, uh, we didn't fall trappings to the the Hollywood or whatever the, you know, whatever that was that it gives, I guess, a lot of people problems. I don't know. I, I thought we had a pretty stable upbringing and, and I loved my father's music. I loved watching him perform. And uh, I think he loved, he did love all styles of music. I mean, because he incorporated it into his shows. He always kept popular music in the shows. So I, I don't think that was an issue ever. Fantastic. So you started as a drummer. Um, what was it that drew you to the drums first? Was it your mum saying, play the drums, or was you interested in hearing someone and going, that's what I want to do? It, it was 100% banging on stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she bought this little drum set. Uh, there was a, you know, this was back before they made tiny drum sets. You know, they make those little kid drum sets. Now, this was a, uh, this was a Ludwig kit. It was a tiny little Ludwig, Ludwig kit. And uh, I had a, they were metal drumsticks. One was red and one was blue. And she taught <laughs> me to keep the red one in my right hand and the blue one in my left hand. She taught me how to play traditional. Um, and I just liked banging on the drums. Uh, and then, you know, piano happened in the first grade. And, you know, you just kind of start playing stuff after that. Um, I still always lean on the drums. I play the drums in every show we do. Uh, I get behind the kit. Um, fortunate enough to on a couple shows get behind the kit with my youngest son who plays and uh, I just I do respect and admire a lot of drummers I, I loved I loved the band ACDC from the mid 70s and he could lay down a beat just at watching him play uh inspired me you know of course you love getty lee you love uh phil collins you love uh uh charlie watt you love everybody for their style um and i just i always admire the way that they <laughs> i think drummers just sit back there 
and drive the whole band and i love yeah. it do you um do you perform out front as a drummer as well no. do you have that sort of drummer's timing when you're singing and you're you're singing i for some reason inherited a lot of my father's uh control over what goes on um i don't know i don't know if it's practiced or if it's just inherent or it's from being a drummer and playing the drums um but i i absolutely do i mean i i count most of the songs off i i kill most of the songs i stop the songs i speed up the songs i slow down the songs i uh i very much like to have that kind of control and over the or over what's going on i'm fortunate to have a man that can follow me um <laughs> yeah, like like my father we don't work with set lists when i'm on stage uh which is a nightmare for you know the sub player that comes in every once in a while um but they they have to know my cues and and my vocal cues and my hand cues and things in order to know what song we're doing next uh and it it's part of the fun that i have on stage is yeah. being in that control you know i'm not i'm not just a singer standing up in front i like to be a part of it i think that makes for also a special show when you go along to watch a show when you you can tell that no one really knows what's going on and it is i think it just makes a more entertaining show for a punter as well it absolutely is and you know we get a lot of comments that you know you you'll read comments or reviews on the choreography or you know what's going on and i i you know it there is nothing choreographed there's probably five or six moments in every show that we kind of do every time we hit that spot in the song uh just because it grew into something we do um but the rest of it's just kind of unorganized mayhem um you know everybody knows when to jump up front everybody knows when it's their turn uh everybody does get the spotlight and it's just this circus of things you know it's like going to a three-ring circus where you got something going on everywhere <laughs> uh you just have to decide in the crowd what you're going to look at this show and you know what now you got to come back because you missed what was going on over there and i, th I think it it does make it fun for the crowd. We do get a lot of comments about it, that it's just, it's not just music. It's, it's a uh, very heartfelt entertainment and a good time. And people appreciate that. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen many bands over the years and I've seen a lot yeah. of famous bands just phoning it in and you can tell oh. they're just phoning in their performance and it's, the, it really nothing aggravates it. me more. Nothing aggravates me more than people standing up there. It, uh, you know, and, and equally nothing aggravates me more than, people with talent that are going to use that tape recording tonight and just because the light show has to match it's like come on you know we're we're robbing uh, we're, we're robbing people if you do that i i think it cheapens everything you know it's uh famously who was it just the other a uh, couple weeks ago through the water bottle at uh somebody in the crowd the girl rapper uh cardi b mm. she somebody threw water at her and she threw the microphone at him but the song kept playing and she kept singing i'm like <laughs> and everybody's mad she threw the mic you should be mad that you paid however many dollars to get into this show and she's not singing that's right yeah i you mean know? there's been a, a huge controversy with the backing track row lately I've and i've seen one of the bands that they said you kiss i'm gonna say it was it was kiss there was a big yeah. thing about kiss and they said they're <laughs> using backing tracks anyway i got to see him a couple of months ago for, for a ten ten dollar ticket 
And I'm telling you, they weren't using backing tracks. I, yeah. I can, like 100% to you. Don't get me wrong, the show was very organised, but they were definitely were not phoning that in. And it, so, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It can make, I'm, I guess for a performer as well, once it starts to get too polished, it does get boring. It does yeah. get boring. And I used to get into, you know, they're, they're very, very early on in switching gears and moving into my father's style of music. I had put a band together with my sister and, um, their, her agent at the time presented me with this contract that was this thick. And, <laughs> you know, I sent it to my attorney and we laughed a lot as we read through <laughs> it. And, and, you know, one of the things was, you know, that it was, it was specifically spelled out choreography and this and that. And I went, you know, um, you, you want to spend all this money on this because I have to be over here during the spotlight of this song. Well, what if the person paying attention to the song is over there? <laughs> yeah. it doesn't work um and i think it's i think it's uh I, I think it's lost in the entertainment business right now the art of entertaining um mm. everything is very too scripted it's very well planned out and written uh and you completely lose the spontaneity and the joy of being at a show and be able being able to focus on that connection between the crowd that you get um and it's sad. I, I hope it, I hope it flips and and comes back around. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I think eventually it always breaks, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Your first, your, your first band was Problem Child. What sort yep. of band was that? Well, we, you know, Problem Child, obviously an ACDC song, um, and actually we wrangled over a lot of names and landed on that. But it, it was, uh, if you took what ACDC was doing and kind of mixed in a little Chains Addiction and a little jazz and a little feel. Um, that's what we were doing. It, it was, it, uh, we were a victim of not fitting into a genre because that's when genres really started to hit in, in rock and roll. You know, you were, it was never, it wasn't just rock and roll anymore. It was heavy metal. It was grunge. It was alternative. It was, uh, you know, whatever the moniker was and we kind of didn't fit in we played a wide range of styles uh, most of it fun uh i think i um i wrote probably 50 amazing ballads that i never sang because i just didn't want to <laughs> not have fun on stage um so it was you know we we had a great following and we recorded you know we were in every major labels offices two and three times and just couldn't flip that switch on that record deal. Yeah. And, uh, um, I, you know, I love those times. There's people still sing some of the songs to me as I run into people that I've never seen before. <laughs> hey, you were that guy with the moon tune song, weren't you? And they'll sing the song. And I'm like, well, you know, I guess that just means I was catchy and just didn't catch on. I don't know. Um, but it was, it was straight up rock and roll. Uh, yeah. very very aggressive very very loud very fast very fun and what sort of writer were you were you lyrics first and music second or the other way around it it goes both ways and it still goes both ways it, it'll start with uh um who did i just see i think it was uh i think it was the fawns i think it was henry winkler on the show <laughs> where he was talking about um and and they had just had a musical guest on and I forgive me I can't remember the name it was it wasn't Cake or it wasn't it was uh, I can't remember the band but they were talking about how you know somebody tapping a knife in a restaurant 
on the table can start that wheel going in your head that turns into a song, you know, the train going by, the uh, the washing machine making a particular noise. Um, or, you know, in moments of silence, it's a brilliant line that'll pop into your head and you write out the continuation of the line and then you've got to add music. So it goes both ways with me, I guess. Um, uh, and I, I don't, I don't think I lean more on one than the other. I really don't. Do you have a preferred instrument to write on? Is it piano? Is it, I know it's crazy to say drums. Could you write on drums if you were doing it? I have written on drums. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's piano. I'm not, so, you know, I'm not overly skilled on a lot of the instruments that I play. <laughs> I, 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 I tell people I, I, you know, I kind of gave up music after school um, because I concentrated on the trumpet and I just never thought anything I picked up, I didn't think I was that phenomenal at it. I, I And I always felt that you've got to be the Eddie Van Halen, so to speak, of that instrument, whatever it is. Um, it's just my personal feeling and I never thought I was that great at anything until I put a microphone in my hand and I went, oh, this I can do. Um, but it's, uh, the piano's the easiest because you, you can go slow with it. You know, uh, I'm familiar with most of the chords and things like that. So that's what, that's what I end up, uh, when I get into, get into it. Also, I'm fortunate to a lot of the, we do, um, writing sessions where me and the other writers that I work with will get together and you bounce ideas off each other. So I can come in. I can come in um, with my guitar player, Ryan, and, and, and I can just hum something to him and he'll get it and he'll play it exactly how I think it should sound. And we go from there. But um, yes, I've written music on drums. <laughs> I, I bet you've forgotten more brilliant songs than you've written down as well. <laughs> I've got, I you know, the, the, I hate the notes app in, in the iPhone because it, you know, you'll type out this lyric and you, and what was that lyric? You know, you go <laughs> like I, I, and you read it and you can't come up with a melody. And, you know, when I write something, there's a melody to it. I'm not just, I'm, you know, I'm, I, people, people compliment my prose, but I'm not, I'm a guy that puts melody to it. Um, but yeah, there are dozens. And I mean, I've got, I could show you lists. My, uh, my drummer, we call it, uh, shabby road his uh studio in phoenix is where we meet to go write things and uh they have a whiteboard big whiteboard on the wall where they just write random lyrics as they, <laughs> if it comes into their head and this thing you there's no space on it and you go how do you even <laughs> find anything on there but that's a, i think i think all good writers are like that you've got books and books and books of stuff that yeah. uh might have been brilliant and that's never going to come out because you can't remember <laughs> <laughs> so am i right in thinking uh, problem child disbanded and you sort of moved away from music for a while is that right very frustrated with the music business i'm uh i'm a businessman at heart i think that's one of my biggest downfalls in the music business is it's not a it's not a business that caters to smart people on the uh paycheck end of it um, so, you know, when grunge was taken over, I kind of got tired of hearing sing grunge, sing grunge, sing grunge. Right. I'm like, I'm not that 
depressed. I'm not that angry. <laughs> uh, and I, and I think it doesn't play into longevity because yeah, you can be angry and mad for one album. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But you start making money, you're not that angry and mad anymore, are you? <laughs> it's so, true, yeah. So um, I, I was just frustrated with it, and and I had given myself a, a not a deadline, but a time frame. If I'm going to give up on the world and concentrate on music, I'm not going to do it forever. You got to be realistic. Rock and roll is a young man's game. You got to get in, get out. Um, so it was time to go, and I just I started raising a family and got a day job. And just went and sat in with friends and, and, you know, did music for fun for a while. I sang in an ACDC tribute band for a while on, <laughs> nice. on top of it all. But, uh, you know, and it was when my sons were old enough to know that I'd be on the road and be able to take care of each other. Uh, that's when I started really hitting it heavy uh, to get back into music. I, I kind of always knew I would come back um, because I enjoy it more than I should. I, I love being on stage. I love to a fault. I love being on the road and in buses and planes and trains and automobiles. I, I, I love it as my soul and being on stage is the greatest feeling in the world. So I knew I'd come back. Um, I just didn't know when. And, uh, fortunately I came back, uh, with good timing, I suppose. So did you go from your day job to forming the witnesses straight away or was there was there bands in between or was it So there was there were there was a lot of bands in between not nothing formed formally it was mostly just going and sitting in with people and having fun um there was a uh there was a odd encounter as I was I, I so I was I ran into an old manager friend that said he had some people they were looking for a Louis Prima type band and he pitched me and he's like, do you still sing? And I'm like, I haven't done anything in a couple of years. So we were talking and then a strange phone call from a friend of mine, uh, Mike Varney, who owns Shrapnel Records, um, got me involved in this show that he was involved in where I went and sang a couple of my father's songs. And I think the reaction there kind of tipped the scale to go, okay, I'm going to, this is what I want to do. Um, so I went back to the manager and I said, okay, this is what I want to do. I, I'll start with my father's music. I don't want to play it for the rest of my life. There's room to grow there. You can build on it. Um, I want a band of musicians. I don't want chart readers. I want guys that want to be part of the show. And I don't want to be involved in the business. Well, all of that worked out except being involved in the business because <laughs> I can't get away from that. Um, 
So I probably started, it was about 2004 when that started happening. Um, about 2006, we were serious about it and doing a show here and there. Um, in 2010, I think I had found all the pieces to my stage puzzle. I had found the sax player, the drummer, the the guys that were serious and were going to entertain and be part of the fun and were brilliant. And I found all those pieces and we played Jazz Fest here in New Orleans. And the week before Jazz Fest, I just walked in and quit my job. And I said, <laughs> uh, I think I've got the product. Um, let me take all of my savings and pay off my house. That way they can't take my box away from me and grabbed my two sons and said, I'm going on the road. I'll see you when I get home. And, uh, <laughs> it, it was literally like that and no looking back. Um, you know, that yeah. we, we struggled for a while gaining the momentum, but, but we, we got momentum. We put out the first album, we recorded it in 11. It came out in 2012. Um, uh, that's when we met Jim, Jim Urban from Warrior Records. We had, uh, produced, we had recorded the album ourselves at a friend of mine's studio in Las Vegas, Tone Factory, uh, and ran into an argument with an investor and was introduced to Jim and Jim said, I'll put your album out if, uh, but I have a question. Um, this album's all your father's material. Do you write? I said, yes, I write. Um, he said, well, give me some examples of some things that you've written. Uh, so we send him a couple things and he said, uh, all right, let's put this album out, but you got to promise me number two and number three and let's get a relationship going. And I said, okay, send me a contract. And he sent me a contract and I readied all the lawyers and got out all my books and my red marker. And I opened the contract and there were two things only that I, it was small it was simple. And there were two things. And I sent him an email and said, yeah, I don't understand this one. And I don't know why this one's in there. And in 10 minutes, he sent it back and they were gone. I go, you didn't have to remove them. He goes, look, if it's not beneficial for you. It's not beneficial for me. Let's make music and let's make people happy. And it's been a brilliant friendship since. So um, a, a lot of right turns starting in 2010. And uh, that's bought us here, you know, thankfully. You've got two albums you've got return of the wildest and blow and they're both interesting albums they're Thank both you. really really interesting no they're great um i'm just interested in the um the recording process was it all done in, in a live room at the, at the same time with just a vocal overdub or was it uh separate? we it's as close to live as you can get um and we did uh when we recorded by ourselves we did it this way when we recorded with jim uh which we recorded at capitol records in the same room that my father recorded uh, and we've actually recorded album number three, but the pandemic in the world isn't letting us release it yet. Um, but it's there, <laughs> but, um, it's, it's live. It's everybody playing at once. And then you weed through and get the parts nailed down. So you're playing up until you get the best drum track from start to finish. You know, we're not cutting and pasting. We're start to finish. Once you get that drum track, then you work on the guitar track. So everything is live. Um, when you hear, and Jim is brilliant at this, when you hear a lot of the banter and the background noise, especially on blow, that's real time stuff that's happening that he's leaves in there 
to add to that live feel. I think, I think outside of uh, ACDC and, and a few other bands like maybe Sweet and things like that, it's hard to find an artist that captures that live on an album. And I think we captured that live on recordings by doing it that way. It's not, you know, I know how people record now and I don't think I'll ever do it. Uh, yes, I hope not. Um, I mean, Blow, I love the album Blow. I've got to be honest, I think that's your strongest album of the two. Thank you. I think, Thank I, you. I, I think it's fantastic. You're right. I love the um, studio banter and the countings, and I love all that stuff. You did an amazing cover of Goody Two Choos by Adam Ant on there as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Adam Ant. So can you explain why that was on there? Oh, it, this goes way back in time. Um, it, it was, it's, it's a song that I don't know if I was a fan of when it first came out, but it kind of grew on me and it took a friend of mine taking me to go see him live for me to really buy in on Adam Ant. And I, I loved his performance. I loved his style. I ended up liking most of the songs. Um, so we were sitting around going, all right, we're going to go original. We're going to write music. Uh, I think we need a cover outside of Louis Prima what can we do that's fun? And we bounced around a lot of things. And I don't, I don't know why I kept coming back to Goodish Two Shoes. It was the first one I bought up and it was, I, it was probably driving in the car and I heard it. And, and you, when I hear songs, I always go, how does this sound with horns? How does this sound with this? How does this go with that? Um, and I always pictured that song as being amazing if I did it, how I wanted to do it. I mean, it's a great song to begin with. Um, let's take and make it ours. And it, it just kind of stuck. It, it was the most logical choice. And it's one of the, it's, it, and you always do this with the, with the auspice of going, okay, everybody's got to recognize it. When you play the song, everybody's got to know it. So there was a lot of argument on nobody knows that song. And I go, no, everybody <laughs> knows this song. Trust me. Everybody knows this song. And when we play it live, I look around, I go, see, everybody knows this song. <laughs> it's fantastic oh, I love Adamant I've been a huge fan since I was a kid I interviewed Chris Thompson that actually produced the record as well oh, right shoes. and uh, he was saying that he recorded the drums in uh, Abbey Road Studio One right in the middle oh no so way that, right yeah, on so that, I didn't know that yeah and it was only him it sounds like there's 50 drummers doesn't it it was him, on, him by himself it's yeah, always the echoes man you gotta love it it's, it's brilliant and yeah. um, generally when I listen to an album there'll be one song that'll make my ears just go oh what's that you know that, that turn up song yeah um, someday on there is the, <laughs> that track is amazing can you tell me a little bit about that please so there's two stories that go along this this line the the first of which um there's a it's called the dolphin bar there's a hotel in atlantic city new jersey and we had a couple nights off and we're drinking in the dolphin bar and it's me and my uh guitar player ryan mckay and my drummer ad adams and we're drinking and uh we're talking about things and and uh, i don't remember which one of us said uh well we'll always have someday and ryan who is famous with the irish goodbye and if you don't know what the irish goodbye is uh it's 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 uh when you get up and leave and nobody knows you left um, <laughs> uh ryan stands up and goes good night and left and I get a phone call early in the morning and he's like, you up? I'm like, yeah, he goes, I'm coming to your room. And he comes into the room with his guitar and I can shuffle through here. And I got the piece of paper in there. I promise you. Um, 
he's got the notepad from the hotel it's this big and he's got half the chorus and and one verse of someday and he wrote it off we'll always have someday um so we sat and continued writing and finished the song out and um we were getting ready to, you know, we're amping up to go into the studio in August and some unfortunate changes had to be made in the band. And one of which was the girl that sings with me. And I had, uh, I had met Leslie online on Twitter. I was watching football and the Brian Setzer orchestra was playing during commercial breaks live for the football broadcast. And I made a comment, something about the national anthem was lip synced and this and was happening. And the background singer in the Brian Setzer Orchestra is upstaging the whole band. And I get this, thank you. And it's her. And she, <laughs> she's, she's one of the vixens. And uh, we met and we talked and I was like, would you like to come in? And she had never recorded. She had never uh, fronted a band as a singer and um that was the first song she sang in the studio for us and it's uh uh we gave her a little bit of free reign on okay here's the guidelines of what we think it should do hit it and boy did she hit it knock that out of the park and i think um you know i i said earlier i've written a lot of really good ballads and never sang them and i'm glad to be able to have people around me that can sing them and she's one of them and we got another one coming up on the new album that I think will turn some heads as well, but it's that's my favorite song on the album as well. It's wonderful. What I love about it is the sound you've got on it. You could have given that to the Shangri-Las and it wouldn't have sounded out of place. Right. A- absolutely. Sounds, yeah, it sounds timeless, even though it's it's new, if you see what I mean. Like it's it, it's brilliant. It is, and, and it was it's it's simple in its writing. Um uh the the lyrics I think um fell together nicely it's lyrically a strong song um the hook the musical hook is simple and the horns you know the horns are loose a little dirty and um a little haunting and i i i think the horn line uh besides her vocal performance make the whole song for me uh but i i can listen to that time and again I'm going to put some links to your albums in the description of the video and the podcast, but I'm going to separate that one. I think people need to awesome. hear that because <laughs> it. it's great. It's so a great said, song. It's brilliant. Um, your album Blow is full of energy. It starts with energy um, and it's a lovely journey. Like it starts as if it's a live concert. Then you have your mid ballad there and then carries on full of energy. Your new album, is it the same sort of thing? Is it like, like a live set? It is. Um, we, you know, and I, I deal with things in journeys and, and I'm on, a, I'm on a journey right now to take my father's music and my music where I think it should be. Um, my father grew and expanded and created new every time he touched a studio and every time he touched a stage, he was not happy sitting back, enjoying what he had already done. Hmm. Um, so in that aspect, putting this band together, I wasn't going to sit on what I had already done or what my father had already done. I did not want to be a tribute act. I wanted to pay tribute and I wanted to create new. So we took Return of the Wildest was a, let me take my father's favorite songs and there's a few fan favorites in there and I'm going to shake it up and we're going to put it out there and then we're going to move on. Um, 
Blow was step two, uh, which was incorporating a song or two of my father's. Um, I got to do a ballad with my father. Thank you, technology. And uh, step three is taking it a step further. This is all original with uh, two surprises. And we stepped outside of the box. I think we're really good as writers um, challenging ourselves. I, I've always said that I write songs I can't sing. Um, but you want to do that. You want to challenge yourself. And what, you want it to be difficult. You want it to be something interesting and new. Uh, and I think it's going to possibly alienate a few people that want me to stay true to form. Um, but I think it's going to thrill people that enjoy what we do in our live show, which is anything and everything. So it's a, it's a, another step in the direction. It's taking some, um, wild chances, especially with the ballad and, uh, and another duet with my dad and <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, we literally stepped out of the recording studio into the pandemic, um, I went, I was in Vegas and was, had to drive back to, um, LA to do some cleanup vocals like a week or two after we had, uh, gotten out of the studio and I rode my motorcycle and I was the only one on the road. It was the most haunting and spooky thing in the world. And you just kind of kept waiting for the world to open and it didn't open. Um, and you know, I've got people asking all the time when's the album coming out and my only answer is that we didn't you know um we didn't do this ourselves so i can't cd baby it out to you uh this is a record label with universal music publishing uh and there's guidelines and there's rules and there's stipulations and (laughs) we have to have x amount of tour dates and x amount of support and and it's just not there yet because of the pandemic and then the economy. Um, so we sit patiently waiting. Uh, it's a brilliant album. Um, there's some amazing things on it. We did shove one song out there off of it. We did a Christmas song called Hey Skinny Santa. Um, <laughs> it's a fun little tune. And that's available. You can go buy that online right now. It's not too early to add to your Christmas playlist. Uh, it's a great little song. And we hope you know, fingers crossed that we get to get this out there because I, it's, it's new stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's got all the fun that was on blow. I mean, we still, we, we are who we are. So we go and have fun in the studio and Jim is brilliant. Jim Urban is brilliant, uh, in pulling that out of people. Uh, he's the warrior records label president and he and I co-produced the album and, uh, I can't wait for it to get out. Uh, I wish I could play some of it for you. And the only thing that I can say is we do pennies from heaven <laughs> as a duet with my dad. Nice. Not allowed to tell. <laughs> I actually don't think we have permission to do it yet from Universal. Right. But we did it. Yeah. Oh, wow. And what's it like when you're when you're sort of working out a song which to do? Like, So you probably had a million songs to choose from yeah. to do with your dad. What was it that made you pick pennies from heaven? Jim did. Um, we play, there's, there's a club in LA called the Cicada Club. Um, it used to be a department store, uh, men's haberdashery, I think. Uh, it's, it's straight in downtown. It's been in 
it's been in a hundred movies. Uh, the the movie um, uh, with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. The, the name of the movie just uh, Mr. Mrs. Smith. Yes, where she straps the bomb to him when they're dancing. Mm. That's the Cicada Club. Gorgeous uh. place. Uh, we're playing there, and Jim had come out to see us, and uh, um, hadn't played that song in a long time, and we threw it back in the set. And we go upstairs, they have an absinthe bar and probably one of the best craft bartenders in the world. And we go up there to having a drink with Jim and he goes, you got to do pennies from heaven on the new album. I go, you know, whatever you want to do. He goes, I I can, he goes, work it up, work up an arrangement. I said, okay. So, you know, and, and then as with all other songs, you know, we, we bounce everything off Jim. So we send him just a bunch here's here. This is what it is. Pick and choose. And he picks and choose. And, you know, if I don't agree with the choice, I'll go, I think this is a better choice. We'll argue about it for a while and he'll win because he's smarter than me. And <laughs> and we got into the studio and, you know, we, we always mess with, he he's very good at messing with um, what key we're in so that it's ideal for the band and the vocals. And we had changed the key of, pennies from heaven along the way in pre-production and we got in the studio and i walk in the door and he's got everything mapped. you know everything's mapped out and stuff he goes um we got to take pennies from heaven back to the original key and you need to do it at that tempo i've got track and you need to eliminate this there were some changes we had made and he goes you need to sing it as close to the you need to do it as close to the way as your father did it i said well why and he goes because i've got the track and we're going to use it <laughs> nice. and i go they said okay and he said no but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do it and and we'll have the whole song in its entirety if we don't get to do it um and if we get to do it this is what it'll sound like and when he first sent it to me we're we're producing it over the internet which is always neat to me um the yeah. jury do that uh, when he first sent the song to me it it was it was into the second verse before I realized that I'm singing with my father. I, I guess that's a compliment somehow that I, we, we do sound alike. Um, but it's a, we don't just use him. We use Sam Butera on the sax. We use by the end of the song, it's both bands play and it's a lot of fun and I just can't wait to get it out. That's amazing. Yeah. Your, your live shows are just so full of energy that they're, they're exhausting to watch even on YouTube to be honest with you. <laughs> So, um, for people in America, um, where would they? Where's the best place to go and see you? And are you going to come to England and tour England at any point? We are working on England very hard, especially Jim. Um, we had several dates. We were working on thirty days. Um, we were going to do the whole month of October in 2020 uh, in Europe, and of course, that all fell apart. And we're working to get that back together. Um, just so people know, it's you know, it, there's. 12 of us on the road there's a lot of logistics and a lot of cost involved we're working on it trust me i uh, every time we played over there it's been a blast and we can't wait to get back um in the states you know it's always lewis prima jr.com l-o-u-i-s-p-r-i-m-a-j-r.com you scroll down and our calendar's there it's not that full right now we're um it it's been it's been a tough uh year and a half uh with the economy and things like that keeping this act on the road uh but we're 
we got gigs few and far between, but they're out there. We're doing about one or two good weekends a month. We're really concentrating on next year, building a tour together. That way we can put the album out and things. And part of that, cross our fingers, will be Europe. But you can go on there and there's a little follow button. It's run by Bands in Town. You click follow, give me your name and your email address and where you're from, and you'll get notifications when tickets go on sale. Uh, but there are some dates there. We're on the East Coast, uh, mostly toward the end of the year, uh, and back in the Midwest as well. And just looking forward to getting back to a re- regular schedule. Fantastic. I'll put your website in the link in the description again. Um, thanks, thanks for it. chatting today. It's been absolutely amazing. It's been a blast. I appreciate your time. And hopefully when we get over there, we can say hi. Yeah.